Welcome to the Picture Books to Gang podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Corey. I'm Kelly, and we are the Picture Books to Gang. We invite you to join us here every other week while we discuss amazing books and issues in children's literature, as well as early literacy, education, and parenting as it relates to reading. We can't wait to dig in deep and get nerdy about picture books with you. Hello, and welcome back to the Picture Books to Gang podcast. Today, I would like to reintroduce the Canadian Goose and the Beetlejuice, my co-hosts, Ale and Coco. Hello, I'm Allie, and I am offended. Canadian geese are awful creatures. All they do is hiss and crap everywhere. Hello, I'm Coco, and I'm so ready for spoopy season. <laughs> yes, spoopy season. And I'm Kelly, and uh, Allie, you are right. Canadian geese are horrifying creatures. <laughs> I need to reinforce a terrible rhyme just to prove a point. So the reason for this terrible rhyme in our introduction today is because we want to talk about how to replace all of that awful Dr. Seuss in your home or classroom library. And we want to dig in a bit about rhyming books and why they're important, as well as some great alternative to those keepsake type books. And we want to thank everyone in advance who came out with their thoughts and suggestions on this topic on Instagram. Ale has asked on uh, the Picture Books to Gang podcast and our stories and also on a post on her page this week, Read with River. Definitely got a bunch of new titles that we need to check out from that. And if you'd like to see a full list of all the book suggestions and accounts who gave them, you'll find a link to the list in our show notes. Yes, this is a topic we have touched on before in our episode about building a diverse bookshelf. But there is a lot of people much smarter than us that have gotten deep into the racism of Theodore Geisel, also known as Dr. Seuss. And we are going to link that in the show notes as well. This isn't just personal racism either. It's woven into the illustrations and content of his books. The Cat in the Hat, as an example, is based on the black minstrel trope, which is super harmful. Also, is it just me or are they incredibly ugly books? I mean, there are so many beautiful, heartfelt, poetic books that rhyme like one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish it isn't, it's not the best that humanity has to offer here, okay? Uh, one of our followers this week at This Book Wins wrote in our public conversation on rhyming books that, quote, if uh, the majority of people are aspiring to inspire a generation of readers, the tools used have to be inspiring. And that's so true. And it, and it goes for the rhyming and the poetic books that we are choosing, as well as the prose. That's such a great point. Thank you at This Book Wins. And it really ties into my real passion here that if we're choosing bad books, and not only that, but bad books that support white supremacy, like the Dr. Seuss books, what are we inspiring exactly? I'm not, and I've never been advocating to ban them because I don't think that that's productive. But I am advocating to stop promoting them and stop paying for them. I'm advocating for people to think critically and put the harm that they do ahead of their nostalgic feelings. We can stop making them profitable to produce. I want to see Seuss replaced with better books as the so-called status quo of a child's bookshelf. Yeah, we can't stop libraries or bookstores from carrying Seuss, but we can discourage Seuss-themed classrooms and Seuss-themed parties, Seuss-themed weeks at school, and the default of gifting, oh, the places you'll go, because not only do all of these books perpetuate racism, there are actually just definitely better books out there. One of the main issues, and you, you may be like thinking at home about this, is that, you know, children need rhyming books as part of early literacy and childhood development. One of our followers 
Asian Lit for Kids wrote really well about this. She said that, you know, from an early literacy standpoint, rhymes are really good at building phonemic awareness and that this is essentially the ability to hear and manipulate sounds. This is important for all readers and especially important for English learners, which is a great point. And that it's, it's really hard to find good rhyming books. If you just walk into a giant bookstore, are you the kind of person who's going to start flipping through every single book in the stacks to find one that rhymes and is good? Or are you going to head over to the recommended classics and just pick the books that are being promoted as the essential children's library? And Seuss is kind of the default there for, for rhyming books because it's, it's easy to find. Absolutely, Ellie. I agree with you. But also, we want to celebrate rhyming books as a genre. We want to talk about all the wonderful books that you can find that flow and rhyme and that are really songs of the heart. Because we want to give people the names of books out there that are just wonderful that they can go to and feel confident asking for or just buy quickly online. So you can fill up that shelf with great rhyming books that like also maybe aren't being read at clan meetings, you know? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and... I just think it's so much worse for me when a book blatantly says it's a quote-unquote rhyming book, but then it doesn't work entirely. And that's more disappointing to me because I expect that if the author is making such a bold statement that the text will be finessed and perfected. It's so true. You know, it they really have to be done just perfectly or they fall so, so flat. And like our friend Saranya, aka Toddlers Who Read on Instagram was saying, and I quote, not all rhymes are created equal, which I think is true. And I'm not going to name names, but a book that has been in rotation lately at our house and we were just reading last night. It's about a weasel. And the rhyme is just so clunky. It just doesn't flow at all. And because they have forced a rhyme and a rhythm so much, you get totally tripped up when you're reading. And it's just such a story ruiner. Ugh, it's just the worst when you are reading out loud and then the rhyme just falls apart. And this week, while we were discussing this on Instagram, that was one thing that kept coming up again and again. It is such a big pet peeve for most book lovers, but I don't mind rhyming books that are done well and are cleverly done enough that each line doesn't end with the exact same word, but I just can't stand bad ones. And I'm really feeling what Alyssa, aka Children's Lit World, was saying about how she was so annoyed by some poorly crafted rhyming books that she literally took a Sharpie to fix them. And that sounds really satisfying, actually. See, and I, I get why people are so annoyed. And I think the thing with rhyming books is that they just require more, I don't know, craftsmanship, a different skill set than just your regular prose books because it's not just about the end of a sentence making a rhyming sound. It's about the rhythm. It's about the cadence. It's about the timing. You know, it's like writing music except without the melody. <laughs> so there's just a lot that needs to happen for it to be good. Like I definitely value rhythm over the rhyme and I didn't realize this specifically until I had actually complained to our daycare teacher about a like Dr. Seuss day that was coming up and I had to go up to her and have an uncomfortable conversation and explain how racist he was and you know thankfully it was decided that we'd change it to a rhyming day but then I could hardly find any books to bring in for it <laughs> oops <Awkward>. um, <laughs> oops but we actually do have some favorites once I got a little deeper 
The Little Red Barn by Margaret Wise Brown is one. It's just, it's a soothing and predictable bedtime read. Yeah, we have one like that and it's, it's just beautiful. Um, I just, I read it to you guys, to Corey and Kelly the other day. And if you're wondering, yes, we do read books to each other over the internet. It's true. We totally have story times with each other, like more than once a week. Yeah, like <laughs> it's the best. Who doesn't want their friends to read them picture books over Zoom with a cocktail? Right? That's a normal thing to do. Totally. 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 Uh, <laughs> anyways, but one of our favorite ever bedtime uh, rhyming reads from when River was little is Go to Sleep Little Farm by Mary Lynn Ray and illustrated by Christopher Silas Neal. And what I love most about this book is that it has this incredible like rhythmic flow and I think it's just so beautiful and and unusual in like sort of a fun way. And do I want to crown it the best rhyming book we own? Like maybe I can't commit to that, but I would definitely say like top three. That's a really big statement, Allie, because I know you have a lot of rhyming books that you love. And actually on the topic of Christopher Silas Neal, I just interviewed him for an upcoming PB&J episode. So watch out for that. It was an awesome conversation and I'm super excited about it. I am looking forward to it because he seems like such a nice guy too, you know? <laughs> oh, he does. And I, we really just, we love his style. We love all of his books. They're, they're top, top 10, some of their, his books for us. But back to the topic at hand. Another one that we've basically memorized for bedtime at our house is an old one, a classic one, Time for Bed by Meme Fox. And it's mostly about farm animals too. Apparently there's just something about a farm that's soothing for bedtime, isn't there? Yes, cows are very soothing. <laughs> chewing. Uh, but I think we can agree that chickens are the best. They agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree to anything, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think from a practical perspective as well, rhyming is so important for early literacy development and phonetic awareness. And it's not just me, okay? Other people agree with me. Hannah, one of our friends who's uh, my literacy space, was saying that she loves to use rhyming books as a mentor text or to reinforce essential like phonological awareness skills. And for me, I, I really actually use rhyming and poetry in a lot of different ways, like every single day. And so we'll, we'll memorize rhyming books and other small poems and then recite them without the book. So it, it works on memory, on articulation, on sort of understanding the way that words should flow all together out loud. One of my favorites of all time is um, I Took the Moon for a Walk uh, because it, it's just it's so natural and memorable. It's very much like that classic Tennyson poem, uh, The Lady of Shalott, in, in terms of its rhythm and even the word sounds. I think it was very closely inspired, but I love it. It could be. I'm not sure. But, you know, it's just rhyming isn't something that I seek out in a book. I'm more like for us, like as we're developing literacy skills and, and reading skills, we're doing rhyming word activities and I'm paying more attention in the books that we're reading to where there is a rhyme and I'm pointing it out or even just when we're talking, when you accidentally rhyme, pointing it out, things like that. But as a rule, I really stick to in my very true form, and Allie is going to laugh at me about this, but I just stick to the newer last decade sort of releases. I vastly prefer books that aren't trying to rhyme or specifically marketed as a rhyming book, like Corey said earlier, because it's just going to be boring. It just is. That's so hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, but interestingly enough, picture books specifically written in rhyme are a little harder to find now. And there actually is a reason why. We have found this out. So our friend Lucy Catchpole, who runs a boutique literary agency called the Catchpole Agency in Oxford, she was telling us, quote, they do not do well in co-editions because they're untranslatable and most of the money is in co-editions. But UK publishers often keep a space for a verse in case the next Gruffalo comes along, unquote. I love you, Lucy. <laughs> we all love Lucy. <laughs> um, and you can find Lucy um, at the Catch Bowls on Instagram. Definitely worth a follow. And of course, that point makes perfect sense because a rhyme in English is not a rhyme in German or French or Spanish and so on and so forth. And like, how many Gruffalos are there out there? <laughs> so one great point that Anahita from at MDLM Books made the other day on Ali's Instagram post was basically that they don't always work across dialects and accents either. So even in the UK, something that may rhyme for an English reader, but not necessarily for a Scottish reader. And that very often doesn't work from the US to UK and vice versa. She said she hates reading Ada Twist, scientist and Rosie Revere engineer in her British accent. It just doesn't work as well and it doesn't make it enjoyable, which I just think is a fascinating perspective perspective. And I actually really enjoy Ada Twist and the whole questionnaire series, but I'd never considered that aspect of how dialect and accent might alter the experience. Right. And so that all really does affect, I suppose, how things sell and, and how they're popular in different English speaking countries, but also the issues of what is trendy right now and what are they looking for? So there are a lot of different pieces here that are affecting this, but but also it has to do with the trends of what people are wanting to publish. And our, our friend, Callan Houston Library Finds, also brought up a great point from the publishing perspective. And she's just such a funny lady, you should follow her too. <laughs> she wrote, uh, it's probably mostly the trend picture books are moving towards. It would be really hard to rhyme a biographical kids book about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, what rhymes with Ginsburg? And I got to say, touche, Callan, what does rhyme with Ginsburg? Berg? I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be best to stick with prose on that one. But you, you know what I think? And I got a hot take here. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Okay. Okay. So I think this kind of attitude that, you know, it's so difficult to, to do right that you shouldn't even try is totally defeatist. So many people, when we were talking about this, were coming to this conclusion. Uh, one person at Bell the Cat wrote, I was in a writing course last year and was told that we should avoid rhyme because it is often done poorly and so we should just stick with prose. And I'm like, what is that attitude? Like instead of saying, okay, it's hard and, and there's a lot to doing it well, we just say, oh, forget it. It won't make enough money anyways. I strongly disagree with this from the perspective of what children should be reading. Young children, rhyme is important. You know, there, there needs to be space for it. An effort needs to be made. And um, I want to shout out to Rhyme Living Converts, Bookish Way to Play and Baby Librarians. Bookish Way to Play is actually a children's book editor, and she was converted to Loving Rhyme after she had her children. And Baby Librarians, who wrote that before having a child, she was anti-rhyme, but now she has discovered the joy of rhyming books if they're really, really well done. And they can be well done, and they should be. Anyways, capitalism is robbing us of perfectly good 
poetic rhyming books, and I'm just not having it. Oh my goodness. Capitalism is indeed the enemy. I could not agree more. But there still are lots of great rhyming books out there. I promise. Don't worry. We got so many suggestions. <sighs> One thing I notice is that a lot of them are board books like the Sandra Boynton board books that are so very popular, which don't need as much content so they don't have to go on and on with awful, repetitive, boring rhymes forever and ever and ever and ever. Never. And I think, honestly, like, on the topic of Sandra Boynton, like, one of our most read nearly every single night books is the Going to Bed book by Sandra Boynton. I have it 100% memorized. I could recite it at any moment. And, you know, and I think that's a testament to how something so simple, something that rhymes, it can endure time and space. And, you know, I also think that there are a lot of modern classics and even some future classics that our followers didn't suggest. And I think it goes back to when I couldn't find a rhyming book for that rhyming day at daycare that I mentioned earlier in the show. We actually do have a lot of these books, but they didn't stick out in my mind because they just flow so beautifully. They don't feel like rhyming books. Steam Train, Dream Train, which is obviously a rhyming book by title alone, and Goodnight Construction Site. Those are just two that seem so obvious. And I might also have those ones memorized. They're bestsellers for a reason. They're seamless. Yeah, but the real question there, sorry, is does Steam Train dream train and every sentence was trained no <laughs> no not at all because that's a problem for us it does not <laughs> there is none of that nonsense it's seamless it's just calming i'm surprised that you bought a book about trains listen <laughs> trains are a big deal in this house birds and trains <laughs> <laughs> So even in new releases, there are good rhyming books. I We just got one this week, actually, Ways to Say I Love You from Cordo Kids by Marilyn Singer. It's a super cute book. It rhymes, but it's rhythmic and fun and easy to read. It doesn't feel forced. Oh, it's adorable. Can Cordo do anything wrong? Like, honestly, I wish they sent me that book or any books. So um, Mel from Cordo, if you're listening, could you please send me some books? Mel is the best, hands down. Oh, yes. Mel Acuardo is my favorite forever and ever and always. <laughs> but, but anyways, about the prevalence of great rhyming books being board books. So one of the things that we've, we've really noticed is, is how many of these great rhyming books, these musical books, are actually board books. And I personally love board books. And I love the trend that they're just sort of been has been in the last couple of years of having board books be for older kids because I mean, number one, they're just more practical. You know, you can clean them, they can throw them you know, at each other or whatever, and they survive. They're easy to turn the pages. And, and one of the things that we're really enjoying right now is that yes, Willow, my toddler can enjoy them happily, but also River who's starting to read and she's four, she can really use the, the context clues in a, in a toddler or in a, in a board book and, and really use it on her own. So I, I say I gotta love it. And, you know, for board books, that wipe down factor has definitely become important in 2020 in a pandemic. So for sure, we love board books. <laughs> and, you know, when I evaluate our entire book collection as a whole, the board books is where I see the greatest percentage of rhyming books. And the ones that we've kept around now that my kid is four and a half years old, they're the ones that we absolutely cherish because they're beautiful, soothing 
predictable books. I love a good bedtime story. And I am actually going to get this to segue us into the next topic for tonight, because if we are really going to tackle the issue of replacing Dr. Seuss in your collection, and that's the very famous, oh, the places you'll go, which honestly is a standard graduation gift, baby shower gift at this point. And I have to tell you, I don't get it. I mean, there is this nostalgia factor, but what is it accomplishing to have every kid have exactly the same book signed by their teachers? There are way more beautiful books out there. I kind of feel bad for the teachers, I have to tell you. But So I did a pretty popular post about this last year, and I sort of dubbed this genre keepsake books because I didn't really know exactly what to call them. So we just kind of keep going with that name. But ultimately, there are a class of books that are beautiful, affirming, encouraging, hopeful, and hopefully will carry some nostalgia for your kids. Uh, I, I just... I don't like quote unquote keepsake books. Like, you know, the ones that are like um, generally sappy, I love you, or the world is your oyster like type books. Like if you can like basically sum up the whole book with either of those sentences, then I don't want to read it. And I definitely don't want to have to keep it forever on my shelf. Okay. I have limited shelf space people i don't need to be putting books up there that nobody really needs to read and also i've never read oh the places you'll go and i've never wanted to even without him being a racist i mean now i definitely wrote it won't read it i'm telling you that much but what i do love doing is giving people books okay and and um i just don't like the standard keepsakey sappy One thing I did do when I was pregnant, talking about like sort of the idea of keepsake books, is I would, um, when I was pregnant with with River, not not with Willow, because I didn't do anything, you know, when when I was pregnant with Willow. Second Second child. child Second child. Second child, yeah. (laughs) But when I was pregnant with, with, with River, you know, every time I went to the doctors, I would go to the bookstore after and I would, uh, you know, read through the books that I found and I would buy her a book and I would write something about you know, where I was at in, in my pregnancy and, and stuff like that. I, I did not buy the traditional I love you books. Uh, one that I bought was Dragons Love Tacos. <laughs> and it's a fantastic book. It's dragons, it's tacos, it's fire coming out of everything. Fantastic. And I don't think that buying her a book about dragons and tacos says I love you any less. You know, I can write I love you. I don't need the book to say it. And I agree with that. And I actually love that idea, buying books to mark milestones. And that's individuality over institutionalized nostalgia, which is revolutionary, right? So we can pick books that are actually special to our child. And for some people, that is going to be an I love you book. And, you know, we can write a note in it every year on their birthday on a special day or have their teachers each year sign it or give it as a graduation gift. But how much more special is that book? if they hold a particular individual value because you shared it together and you chose it especially for them. Why are we doing things just because everyone else is? So here we are. Let's get even more warm and fuzzy. I mean, I know Ali's already warm and fuzzy because of all the rhyming. It's actually all the cheese that I ate. (laughs) (laughs) You think she's joking, folks. (laughs) She ate a wheel of breeze before this, guys. (laughs) 
<laughs> I am very warm and full of cheese right now, which is the best way to be. And uh, but let's talk about books that I recommend for birthdays and such. So my favorite birthday-ish book is called "When's My Birthday," and it's it's by Julie Fogliano and illustrated by Christian Robinson, who we really love and keep mentioning because we'd really like him to come on our show. And um, this is a hilarious book about this kid that just really wants their birthday to come. And I really, like, it gives you this memory of how exciting it was to have your birthday coming when you're a kid. You know, you don't get that when you're an adult. And another one we got this year that's actually in the running for our best of 2020 book list is I Got You a Present by Susan McLennan and Mike Erskine Kelly. And that's about a duck who keeps trying to make presents for a kid. It's so funny. We love it. Um, oh my gosh. I love Christian Robinson. And I think his other book, You Matter, would be an excellent keepsake book as well yes. for basically yeah. any reason at all, all Every the time, reason. always. Mm-hmm. Another amazing series that you could choose the appropriate title from is Frank Murphy series that started with A Boy Like You and the recently released a Girl Like You, uh, if you want a selection that's not so gender focused, there's a forthcoming one next year that is going to be co-authored by Charnay of At Here We Read called A Friend Like You. And I absolutely love these books. I think they're also coming out with another one called A Teacher Like You. Yes, they are. Yeah, um, that's really? true. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited about And also Frank is like the sweetest human in the world, possibly. Any conversation we've always had. He's just been so nice. I don't think there's a nicer human. He totally is. I agree. And sort of in that same vein as Frank Murphy's books are the series started by Amy Rosenthal and then has been continued by her daughter, Paris Rosenthal, because Amy Rosenthal did pass away. Oh, that's so sad. Um, Yeah. So the Dear Girl book, Dear Boy, and then there's a brand new one coming out, Dear Baby. And those are all excellent books. And they have a lot of space in the illustrations to have any child picture themselves in the pages, which I really like. If you want something that's more specific for school, I think choosing a book like The Day You Begin by Jacqueline Woodson or The King of Kindergarten by Derek Barnes and Vanessa Brantley Newman. Those ones are super cute. And how nice would those be to start kindergarten with and then have teachers sign them through the years? Uh, Another one that's kind of in that same vein, um, kind of school related, is All the Ways to Be Smart by Davina Bell which is a really beautiful book. We've really been loving that one lately. I love Davina Bell. I also really like her book. She has a book about anxiety called Captain Starfish. Ooh. Uh, that's really good too. And so there are actually so many better books than Oh, the Places You'll Go, like a lot of them. And we don't have time to cover them all. The Grace Byers book, I Am Enough, is gorgeous. And her new one, the sequel this year by her, I Believe I Can. Those ones are actually both beautiful for the idea of writing messages in because there is a lot of white spaces on the page. You could have a clean copy that you read at home and maybe a special copy to add to over the years and finally give as a graduation gift. Our favorite day of the year, too, is a really cute one for the beginning of school. Yes, that would be a really nice one to do that with as well. Oh, you know what? We have one too that we like. Um, never bring an alligator to school. Yeah, <laughs> that's one? a funny one. That would be that great. Is, right? That was yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got it. We have that one on the moonlight projector. But you know what? Like when it comes to thinking about school and graduation stuff, like I'm just not. I'm not ready. I mean, River was supposed to start kindergarten this mm-hmm. year, and well, that didn't happen. But because you know, 
stuff. The pandemic. Yeah. Same uh, here. Know, Didn't whatever. happen for us either. Didn't happen. But you know what? I'm actually kind of happy that, you know, I get to keep her and, and just the idea of her going to school and graduating. My goodness. I just, I'm not ready yet. I, I'll stick to birthdays. Okay. <laughs> and, and true to form, I'm going to finish this episode. I'm going to recommend a few books that you can ascribe, inscribe thank you, for birthdays or baby showers. So number one is Moira's birthday because it's fantastic. And um, it's by Robert Munch and Michael Marchenko. And yes, I always, pretty much I always recommend one of their books. And um, The Gruffalo's Child, which is also a fantastic rhyming book by um, Julia Donaldson. You know, there are some classics that you can get that just you know, aren't problematic, like The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle, because, you know, babies are like caterpillars. They eat a lot, <laughs> and they poop a lot, and they become beautiful butterflies, and I never knew how much caterpillars pooped until you gave me a caterpillar this summer, Kelly. Yeah, uh, yeah, I gave you a monarch caterpillar, and they do poop a lot, and, you know, oh. I had never quite equated them to babies, and now <laughs> I am never not going to. <laughs> So much poop. Like I cannot, you, unless you have one, you can't imagine how much poop comes out of a caterpillar. It's true. It's true. I thought you were still talking about babies. <laughs> also, also. Also that. So babies. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Before we totally cap things off, there is two that came out from Flying Eye Books this year that Kelly and I are both obsessed with, so obsessed. which are Child of Galaxies by Blake Nudo and Freedom We Sing by Amira Leon, both of which are just stunning works of art and in true flying eye style are gorgeously printed and laid out with keepsake quality binding. Oh, I love Chef's Kiss. Their books are just, you, you pick it up off the shelf and it just feels like quality every mm -hmm. single time. They just make me so happy. And I love those two, especially. Like just... They're both so beautifully written and so insanely gorgeously um, illustrated. They're over the top. They just give me warm and fuzzies. Okay. So, well, if you're looking for gorgeous rhyming books or keepsake books, check our show notes for a very extensive list. There's going to be a lot of books in the show notes for this episode. And I want to thank everyone who's taken the time to comment on Allie's post on Read With River and um, in the question boxes on Not Picture Books to Gang. We love hearing from you. And it was really fun incorporating all of her bookstagrammer friends into this episode. Yes, it was. <laughs> That's so awkward. What's wrong with me? <laughs> yes, try that again. it was. <laughs> I like people. I'm totally not a lizard person. <laughs> Sometimes I space out a little bit while I'm listening to you because you have such a soothing voice. Just having cheese dreams. We love you all. All of you. Oh, everybody. You're all great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Ellie might be out. having a stroke from too much cheese. So with that, we'll wrap uh, things up. <laughs> We hope you found lots of suggestions in this episode <laughs> to help you replace all of that Dr. Seuss on your shelf with some fresh new material to create new memories and nostalgia for your kids and students. Be sure to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast service. You can find the Picture Books to King podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and we are now on Amazon Music as well. Be sure to head over to our Instagram at Picture Books to King and drop us a comment and tell us, what are you reading?
Bam, 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 bam,